Hello, everyone. You're listening to Those Are the Girls with Mallory and Friends. I'm Mallory. And I'm Kristen. And we are changing culture. So, you guys, welcome to this new episode. This is a bonus, I guess. I kind of even want to say an emergency episode. Um, Just, like... A lot's been going on in the pro-life world, and I'm super excited to have Kristen on. She was on probably a year ago, maybe a little bit more than a year ago, to talk about Justice for the Five, and there have been some developments on a couple of things. There's been um, a trial for some members um, who um, have who found the bodies. So it, a lot has happened since then, and I'm really excited to have Kristen on to kind of explain that um, and kind of break down what is going on, and then even a little bit of, like, what we can do as just regular pro-lifers who want to make a difference. And Kristen is the Director of Community Organizing for POW, which stands for the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. I was about to say anti-abortion, another A, but (laughs) AA is anti-abortion. The Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. Um, You guys should definitely follow them on Instagram and Twitter and keep up with them. They do a lot of really great work. Um, So Kristen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Thank you for the stellar introduction. My name is Kristen (laughs) Turner. Like you said, I'm the Director of Community Organizing for POW, the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. And we're a group of progressive activists who are trying to end abortion and the influence of the abortion industrial complex through nonviolent means, direct action, mutual aid, community defense, and, you know, pulling out all the stops to protect our unborn siblings from the violence of abortion. But we're progressives and we are not going to apologize for it. We are sticking up for the unborn and we're working together with lots of great people to make that happen. Like Mallory said, we are currently facing trial. The U.S. government is coming after our activists because they're scared of us. And I want to add, so we're going to get into all of that. And I want to add that, um, you know, we have, I think we have an amazing audience. Um, And I just want to add that though we do everything from our Christian conservative perspective, it is so important to ally, I guess, for lack of a better word, like when people, specifically for the issue of life, it's so important for us to hear other people's perspective. And it's so important for us to work together. Sure, we can disagree about vegan stuff and we can have that conversation another day but like it's so important so if you're listening then you you know sometimes i see um like soon as for life will share some live action people will go back and forth in the comments don't do that with this i'm not going to listen so <laughs> there's that i just wanted to add that our audience is typically fine but i'm just a little thing we're talking about the issue of life and um pow has done amazing work and i really respect them and you should too okay so first thing i want to talk about um is let's talk about justice for the five can you explain for those that don't know i will link the previous episode in our um in the description on youtube and instagram and all other places but can you explain a little bit about like what happened Yes. So last time Mallory and I did an episode here together, it was about what's called Justice for the Five. And if you're involved in the pro-life space at all, you probably heard something about it. But if you did not, Justice for the Five refers to five children whose bodies were discovered in Washington, D.C. in 2022, last year, by activist Teresa Bukovinak and Lauren Handy of POW. And basically, they went to the Washington Surgery Center, which is an abortion facility in D.C., to do what's called a rescue. We'll get into what that is a little later. Mm -hmm. But they went there to do a rescue, and it was before they went in, they noticed a medical waste truck. And they started inquiring the driver about what's in the box, and they had a conversation with him. And by the end of that conversation, they ended up taking home a box that they didn't know what was inside. And when they got to a safe place where they could open it, they found out that there were 115 aborted children in that box, five of which, the five from Justice for the Five, were incredibly late in pregnancy, some of which we believed were killed by partial birth abortion, were born alive, left to die, or were killed very, very late in their mother's pregnancy. And so, you know, we launched a whole campaign about it to spread the news, to get justice for these children, to get autopsies for them, and to bring their killer, Cesare Santangelo, to justice. 
and to make him accountable for the crimes against these children. And we've been running that campaign for a little over a year now, but now we're seeing massive developments. So around the time the Justice for the Five happened, many people saw Lauren got arrested and people mistakenly thought, well, she got arrested for having these fetal remains. But in fact, there was no crime committed. These children aren't considered legal persons. And the only thing that our activists did was house their bodies for a few days while looking for a place to get them buried and have a funeral, which a few months ago, we got a funeral for 110 of those babies. The remaining five later children are still being held at the medical examiner's office in DC. But right now, the reason she was arrested when the babies were discovered was because of a rescue, there's that word again we'll talk about, a rescue that Lauren Handy did in 2020, and currently we're on trial for that very rescue. And I think it's very important that you distinguish that she was not arrested for um, finding the babies, because uh, I think that was a huge misunderstanding, misconfusion when everything first came out. So I think it's important to distinguish that. So now let's talk a little bit about what are rescues. Yeah. So rescue, capital R, refers to a pro-lifer who either interposes their body between an abortionist and a child, or they enter an abortion facility to love and advocate for a specific child on that day. So rescues look a lot of different ways. Some rescues, which we call opportunity rescues, include going inside with a rose attached to that rose. There's resources, alternatives to abortions, nonviolent alternatives to killing one's child. And we go in and it's basically like sidewalk counseling inside. We offer the rose to the people in the waiting room. We talk to them. We connect them with material resources. We welcome them into our community if that's what they're missing. And we try to meet whatever needs is causing them to feel like they need to participate in violence that day against their child. And, you know, we let them know a lot of the time about the specific facilities because a lot of these facilities have malpractice lawsuits. They're harming people outside of abortion. They're sending people to the hospital and on ambulances, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's another type of rescue, which is a bit more traditional. You still go in, you counsel, you give the roses out. But when you're asked to leave, you refuse. You say, no, I'm here in solidarity with the unborn on the day of their death. And um, this usually ends in an arrest. And... Many rescuers can decide whether they want to go limp or whether they want to walk away with the police. Some might go limp in order to remain in solidarity with the unborn who don't have the physical capacity to leave. And therefore they say, no, I'm in solidarity with them. I am identifying with this child by acting in only the ways that they can act. They can't leave, I can't leave. And then some people choose to walk. Some people have medical reasons or disabilities or simply choose to ideologically walk when they're arrested. We do all sorts of stuff and there's a lot of room for each person's own interpretation of what they want to do. And then we have what's called a more traditional or lock and block style rescue, which includes blocking the door, physically interposing and saying, no, the abortionist is coming here today to commit murder and I'm not allowing that to happen. I will non-violently place my body in between the abortionist and the child. And, you know, like the other methods, this can include lots of stuff. Some people use physical restraints. Um, this can be done for multiple reasons. Sometimes it's to, you know, make the rescue go on longer or to have the police take longer for them to take them away. Or it gives them extra time to talk with the people who are there considering abortion. And so some people choose to use physical restraints like chains or ropes. Some people simply say, I'm going to sit here until I'm dragged away. And then again, with those, some people go limp, some people walk. It's really up to you. Um, lots of people have different faith backgrounds. We have atheists and agnostics, and we have Christians, Protestants, Catholics. We have everyone involved in this rescue movement. We even have, you know, people who aren't Christian or secular. We have people who are Jewish or Buddhist or any type of thing. But our main goal is to go there on that day and stand with the unborn and their pregnant parent while this abortion is happening, we want to make sure it stops. We want to give them alternatives and we want to be there with the family on the day so that somebody loved them before their death. I love that. I really like that last thing you said that someone loved them before their death. Cause we yeah. think about when people die, older people, we always say, uh, at least 
So sometimes I'll listen on YouTube to different people um, reading Reddit pages. And one of the ones is like um, strange things you see when people die. Something that all of the doctors or nurses, they always say is like, when we know someone's going to die, we like to at least have someone in the room with them. Um, and it should be important that we have the same respect that we have for them for the pre-born as well. Yeah. Um, goes. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. This kind of goes deeper into the rescue philosophy that some of the movement may not know about. Because I think that some people in the movement know about rescue, but rescue is actually the perfect intersection of three principles, which is identification with the child, nonviolence, and um, interposition. So putting yourself in between the child, acting nonviolently, and then also personally identifying with the child and saying, I am the unborn, the unborn is me. We are human, we are equal. And so... Um, there's this famous quote within rescue circles. It's it's not how many babies were saved that day. It's how many babies were loved. Because these rescuers, I mean, they get tons of criticism for doing what they do because, you know, people think that, oh, it makes our movement look bad or this isn't going to last forever. They're going to take you away to jail or stuff like that. But we have to realize that if I were dying, would I want somebody to sacrificially and fully love me in my moment before I die. And I would say, yes, I would want to, I would want that because I'm human. I would want to be treated as such. And um, part of the rescue isn't just how many numbers of babies did I save? Because of course that's our goal. But our goal is also to love the child, to love their parents, to love the people there physically. That's good. Um, I think to kind of talk a little bit about what you said, some of the criticism you guys get, or rescuers get in general. Well, actually, no. Before that, I want to ask. So, are there rescues happening happening like you know semi weekly all across the country, or is rescue kind of like not really happening anymore? Because I know it used to be very popular back in the day, but I know it's not as it's controversial now. <laughs> rescue is happening all the time, and I think that you know a lot of these rescuers they are intentionally they fly below the radar. I know that, you know, we know rescuers within POW did rescues for years, not publicizing it or putting it on social media or really talking to anyone about it, traveling the country, going into 10, 20, 30 abortion facilities, you know, in the course of one, two, three months, like oh, wow. all the time, every day rescuing, just seeing which one can I hit now and then which one can I hit later. But uh, there are groups outside of POW and just individual people doing rescue it's not part of an organized effort. I mean, there are some people who have even faced face charges, which we're going to get into what that is, who are not even connected with the pro-life movement. And on a random day, they just decided abortion's really wrong and I should stop it. And they took that to the logical conclusion, went inside a facility and said, no, you're not going to harm this child today and put themselves in between the abortionist and the baby. And so, I mean, it's more than just one organized effort. There are people, organizations, groups of people, affinity groups, all sorts of people doing rescues all the time. I mean, hundreds of people doing rescue. And our job at POW is to really bring light to that, to find the best strategies and the most sustainable strategies out of what we've seen in the history and current, and to use that to push the rescue movement forward and save babies. I love that. And that's good to know, because I think, like I said i honestly didn't realize it was happening like i knew it was happening but not like to the extent of what you said and i think it's important for people to hear that um and kind of piggybacking off of that and what i was saying about the criticism one thing i've learned in the pro-life movement in general is we all have a role we all i you know before i was a little judgy to various people um you know there's I do think there's a time and place for graphic images. I do think there's a time and place to tell people they're going to hell. Um, so I was very judgy. And I'm not going to lie, sometimes for certain things, I still am a little bit. But as I've grown in this movement, as I've learned more about it, I have really come to the conclusion that every um, you we all have a role. My role is going to look very different than what your role may be. So I really can't, at least I shouldn't, condemn someone for their role now if someone is actively doing things that like you can see like in real time they're not being productive okay you probably should call them out and like encourage them to do something else but i mean rescues are 
they're making a difference. So that's just something that I think that if you feel called to do, it's so important for you to do it. Um, and part of the reason why I did want to talk about it is because there are people who might be interested in something like this, but you, we don't, a lot of the mainstream um, pro-life organizations don't really talk about it. I don't necessarily think that they're against it, but they don't really talk about it. So I wanted people to hear there's another avenue that you can be a part of. Um, and if it's something you feel called to, I think you definitely should. If you don't follow um, pro-life Spider-Man, I don't know. I guess he does rescues, but he does a lot of like big, bold things for sure. He's a good example of like just doing whatever you can. Using your um, specific talent. Yes. Angelique with life dress, using your yep. specific, whatever God has given you, using that to help and just learning more. I mean, you guys all know Melanie. Melanie is a part of POW. She learned more and uh, shout out to Mel. She <laughs> learned more and she is, she's in it. Like once she learned about it. So I just really want people to just figure out where you belong in it. You don't, and you also don't have to do everything, you know, sometimes, and there's been seasons of my life, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should be why don't I have a kid myself right now? You know, why am I not? And it's like, you're not supposed to do everything all the time. It's just using discernment, looking at your talents. There's just, yeah. So I just want to add that. We shouldn't necessarily judge unless we can directly see something negative. Um, Everybody's role. And then you have to find your role. And everybody has a role. I truly believe everybody can do something. Whether you start off with a march, I mean, once you do a march, you should do more. But like, if you start off with a march, that's fine. Start somewhere. But everybody has a role. Okay, so next question. What is the FACE Act? Yes, you said a lot of good stuff in that last bit. I just want to talk about that a little. I okay. totally share that experience of like coming into the movement and being judgy against people who use victim images or did specific strategies and like, I used to be against using victim images, and I agree. There's a time and a place. I think people should warn people if they're going to yes. see victim images. It's like any other dead body. You know, we should respect them. We should add a warning, and we should use it when it's appropriate and not just, you know, fling around photos of dead babies. I think that yeah. time and place, but they're very powerful. And, I mean, I've seen so many minds changed from victim images and i think that those images like the people who have specific roles in the movement they have a specific place and they can reach people that cannot be reached with words or actions or protest or things like that and um i also wanted to address you know rescue is kind of controversial and i think that if people knew really what rescue looks like more they would they would be on board because we're having organizations for example let them live told us Every time you guys do rescue, almost every single time we're getting a mom calling saying, I just got this rose and, you know, I'm, I'm gonna not, you know, go through with it. And so they're saying almost every single time we're doing a rescue, what? they're getting a call. So for me, that's worth it. I'm like, I'll, I'll risk a lot for those babies and to know that that call is happening and to know that those babies are being saved and, um, they're effective, they're loving um, there's totally different legal levels you can be involved with. Some people don't know this, but with rescues, we have an outside support team. People who are in the legal easement on the sidewalk who are acting perfectly within their rights, supporting the rescuers inside, live streaming and saying, this is what's happening right now on the inside. You guys should totally learn more about this within their rights doing that. And those people, they're really a huge help to rescuers. So there's lots of legal avenues you can take to be involved with rescues. Rescues have been shown to be effective. And, you know, I want people to get involved if they can. There was actually an entire event back in the old rescue days in the 80s and 90s where they had nearly 100 people come whose babies were saved from rescue and come and speak at this event and be like, here are our babies. We didn't have the abortion because of rescues. So wow. I really want people to know that stuff. But yeah. now in terms of legal stuff, we should talk about the FACE Act because that ties in heavily with rescues. So FACE Act stands for the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. And this was implemented in 1994 intentionally to destroy and discourage pro-lifers from saving children. Um, in the 80s and 90s, 
rescue was huge. People were going out in the hundreds and the thousands to prevent abortion by putting their bodies in between the abortionist and the child. We had people, you know, coming early in the morning, sitting with hundreds of people there. And most people don't know this, but the rescue movement is responsible for the most arrests out of any nonviolent civil disobedience movement in American history. American history, more than women's legal right to vote, any labor movement. There was more arrests in the... I think a lot of people don't know that about the rescue movement, about the pro-life movement, but if it weren't for them, we would not have had the political leverage to overturn Roe v. Wade. And so they really paved the way for us. And because they were so effective, the federal government said, we need to stop these rescuers. They tried doing it the hard way. They tried shutting them down civilly and then on a lower criminal level. And then they said, you know what? We need to ban this outright which is absolutely unprecedented because in history, in the history of our country, of course, there's always been tension between the government and protesters, but a simple sit-in being a felony that can get 10 years in prison is unprecedented. And yeah, it's an affront to our rights. And so yeah. unfortunately at the time, the FACE Act was passed by people on both sides of the aisle. Both Republicans and Democrats voted for the FACE Act. And, you know, they tried to work in a compromise for this and say, well, if you don't do rescue, then we'll stop people from protesting inside your church, which I don't think it's worth it. One, because the FACE Act has been completely applied unequally. It's almost exclusively pro-life people who have been persecuted and threatened under the FACE Act. I mean, over 100 people have been charged with the FACE Act. But then we see on the other side, firebombings, attacking, graffitiing pregnancy centers, absolutely no consequence. These people are not being held accountable for, you know, doing the wrong thing, for attacking, for being violent, for destroying property, for making people feel unsafe and from depriving them of their resources. And so we see that the FACE Act is being applied unequally. We see that it is politically motivated. And at the same time, there are local laws that are against vandalism, trespassing, all of these things that we're worried about. We do not need a federal law that will impose harsh jail times, a, a punishment that doesn't match the crime against people who are acting in good faith to protect people in their community. And so... The FACE Act was implemented in 94 and it absolutely short-circuited the rescue movement. People didn't know how to respond because before we had a thousand people going to jail for, you know, a couple hours being booked and released or spending the night there. And now if you do it, you're facing 10 years in prison. And so most, most people in the movement said, I mean, I can't risk that type of time. And that's very unfortunate. Clearly, there are some brave people who continue to do it regardless. We see people like Joan Andrews Bell, who never stopped rescuing, even through the FACE Act. She's still rescuing to this day. I spent time with her in jail. She was on the cell right next to mine. And, oh, wow. you know, she's willing to continue to risk, you know, everything for these babies. And, of course, like I said, there's different legal levels to this. But the FACE Act was implemented in order to stop the rescue movement. So this is a question kind of more about the FACE Act than it is about the pro-life. You're saying that it's most exclusively used for um, anti-abortion movement. What else do they use the FACE Act for? Like what, what did they say like the whole overall purpose was? They, they wanted people to stop rescuing. They said that they wanted to do it because they wanted to stop rescuing and they wanted to stop people from, you know. And that's what they told the public? Like they were like, hey, yeah. we're just... Oh, okay. Well, they said it so... had gone too far. It was a waste of police resources. It was encouraging violent extremists, which there's absolutely no evidence of. And in fact, the statistical evidence shows the opposite and that rescue actually prevents violence and violent anti-abortion people because they have a safe and healthy way to channel their anger, their justified anger about a literal genocide happening in our country. So during the rescue movement, we saw an almost 100% decrease in violence from anti-abortion people. The number of threats, 
of property destruction, of violence against abortion providers went down almost completely when rescue became prominent in our country. And then wow. we saw an uptick before rescue started and an uptick after the FACE Act was implemented. So we know statistically that rescue helps prevent violence. Wow. So my last, I guess, ish question is, so back to the main story. People are on trial. Who was on trial? What are they on trial for? When do we find out the results? So 10 pro-life rescuers were indicted under the FACE Act. Currently, those trials are split into two. So we have one trial happening right now with five of those rescuers, and then another trial is going to start up in a few weeks with the other five rescuers. So currently, the five rescuers on trial are Lauren Handy, who discovered the baby's Cesare Santangelo's abortion facility, Lauren Handy, Herb Garrity, a board member of PAL and the executive director of Rehumanize International. We have Will Goodman, a pro-life activist who's been involved in the rescue movement. Heather Idoni, who this rescue was her first. And then we also have John Henshaw, who is also a veteran rescuer. And I want to say, and this isn't a knock at the last three people at all. This is just saying like, there are so many people who are pro-life and who are doing so much for the movement and will never know their names. Like there's so many people and you know, we know Lauren and we know her, but like, I'll admit, I don't know the other three. I probably can recognize their face, but I don't know the other three people. I didn't know them before the trial either. And like, there's so many people out there who are doing things. I was talking with um another one of my pro-life friends and she was talking about all, of, she went to like a banquet or something or like a, yeah, banquet or something where she met all of these pro-life people that are just doing things behind the scenes, very quiet donating you know thousands of dollars to yep. uh this pregnancy center doing this doing that and nobody knows and they're just i mean they're making real change so i i just i wanted to point that out that that's i mean good for them that they stood up and they're not looking for accolades or anything like that not saying lauren or herb are but you know what i mean like they're just they did something and they're good for them so right now they're on trial and what, so there, is it, what are the exact charges, I guess? So there's two charges. The first is conspiracy to deny a federal or constitutional right. So that's not about, it's related to the rescue, but it's saying that they conspired to do this rescue in order to deprive people of a constitutional right, aka abortion. And then the second charge is the face charge. Okay. So I guess because it happened before the fall of Roe, they are still, because like now would they still be charged with um, denying a constitutional right? That's the thing. That very question is what any normal person would ask. And our lawyers, the defense lawyers, sent in a brief to the judge saying, well, how can they be charged with conspiracy to deny a federal right if abortion is not constitutionally protected? It was found to not be a federal right. And in the Dobbs decision itself, it said that Roe was grievously wrong from the beginning. So it's not just that it was a federal right and now it's not. It's that it was never a federal right and that the law did not properly reflect that. And so our lawyers, the defense lawyers, sent in a brief saying we should consider this because obviously it's not a federal right. And the judge went on this, you know, she said a lot of things about it that got national news attention saying that, well, abortion could still be found in the Constitution. And if, um, you know, yeah, she said that Dobbs only the Dobbs decision only discussed whether abortion was protected under the 14th Amendment, not whether it was protected by the Constitution as a whole or whether or not it could be found in another amendment, which actually isn't true. But she said that that's not a valid argument. We can't use that. And, you know, there have been a lot of instances throughout this trial of just unjust treatment from the government, from the whole judicial system. And, I want to get into some of those because, I mean, some of them, I I already didn't really trust the system when it came to, like, lots <laughs> of stuff. But seeing yeah. it play out and seeing just how unfair it is, it was like, I just, I'm seeing the world through a whole new pair of glasses right now. <laughs> Tell us. 
So a few examples are just the blatant discrimination from the government. I mean, they called in these witnesses who just called the rescuers old and fat and just insulted them. The the government is calling the rescuers like basically calling them fat. Like during the closing arguments, the government's going, they used their large bodies to block blah 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 blah. Just continue. And that literally has nothing to do with anything. Literally. And so they're going on about all that's crazy things. Or for example, the government was not expecting Herb to testify. Because when you look at the video evidence, Herb at no point was blocking any door, intended to block any door, intended to block it all. Herb was there simply sidewalk counseling inside, giving resources out to people in need and connecting them with whatever resources he could. And the government didn't expect him to testify because they pretty much thought, you know, it's better for Herb to keep his mouth shut. He's got a pretty strong case. But Herb said, no, I'm standing up and I'm going to tell them what I think. Good so for he gets him. Exactly. He gets up there. And if you know Herb at all, very sarcastic, very funny, very down to earth. And frankly, he was a breath of fresh air that the jury needed. So he gets up there and is talking to the defense lawyer. So you do examination, which is your own lawyer asks you questions and you answer. And then after that, the opposing side can cross examine. They can ask you any questions. And so his lawyer gets up there, asks him some pretty simple questions. Did you block? Did you intend to block? What were you doing there that day? All that kind of stuff. The government cross-examined him for over three and a half hours, berating wow. him, personally attacking him, questioning his intelligence, just trying to degrade and break him down. And he would not allow it. For example. Good for him. Yes, yeah. love it. It was very intense. Lila Rose wrote a Twitter thread about exactly the exchanges that were had, but I can tell you some highlights here. One of them, there was a party, a gathering, whatever you'd like to call it, the night before the rescue in question took place. And if you know anything about the rescue movement, we like to party. We like to have fun. We like to have Mm -hmm. snacks. And so Mm -hmm. the government continued to call this a meeting, a rescue meeting, And at one point, Herb goes, you know, I just really disagree with your characterization of it as a meeting. It wasn't a meeting. It was a party. There were, like, chips and hummus. And everyone (laughs) just busts up laughing because the trial had been so serious. It took us five days to find a jury. We had to go through a pool of 100 people to find just a small group of people who could be impartial, who weren't donors to Planned Parenthood, because that was a whole thing. Oh, wow. Every freaking person that got up there was like, I donate to Planned Parenthood. I went to the Women's March in 2017. And the judge was like, yeah, that sounds fair and impartial. And then we just had to fight wow. it and fight it and fight it. So it took us five days to just find a jury. And he gets up there. He says the thing about chips and hummus. Everyone, It's an instant hit. Everyone knows that that's going to be a thing. Except it made the government so angry oh of course because everyone laughed and they didn't want they didn't expect her to testify they were getting upset that he was funny and likable that he made their questions look completely like who would even ask that yeah so during the closing arguments and during the rest of the cross-examination they just kept bringing up the chips and hummus (laughs) (laughs) and it just kept coming up through the whole thing and in the closing arguments he go. Uh, the government goes, um, the cherry on top, or should I say, the chips on the hummus. And everyone's just like, because mm. that's actually so funny. Angry about that. And Herb gets up there, is cross examined brutally, just treated horribly for over three and a half hours. Hours for the first day, and then we had to come back the next day, and I had to continue grilling him. Um, oh, wow. And the government would go through the charges and say, Lauren Handy is guilty. Heather Idoni is guilty. Blah, 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 blah. And Herb Garrity is definitely guilty. Just because they had thought he was a total slam dunk. And then he got up there and totally just was like, no, you're done. So that was interesting. And this was a major one. Lila also tweeted about this. At one point... There was cross-examining happening. 
the government says, you are aware that abortion is legal in the District of Columbia. And Herb says, some abortion is legal in the District of Columbia. And they got in this huge argument because Herb said, there is a federal law preventing partial birth abortion. And the judge and the prosecutors were like, no, that doesn't matter. There are no laws against abortion in the District of Columbia. And he's like, yes, there are. There's federal law against partial birth abortion, which we were concerning, there to prevent. Concerning that the judge does not know the law, as well as the lawyers. Very concerning. Um, <laughs> yikes. Wow. It's been an interesting ride wow. sitting in the court all week. We also had testimony from Lauren Handy, which was very compelling. She talked about her experience and, you know, intentionally leaving her college exams at the end of the year and just completely being like, I don't care if I fail. I need to save these babies. She saw wow. a video from live action, undercover footage of Cesare Santangelo, the abortionist she found the baby's bodies from, the abortionist she did this rescue at, saying that if an infant is born alive, he will leave them to die. She was so upset by that, she left her college's, college exams and said, it's not worth it. These babies' lives are worth more than that. Went to a press conference at Surgery Center. And it was that moment that she decided, this is what I have to do. I have to rescue these babies. I have to, you know, put everything on the line for them. And we got to hear her testimony about that. We got to hear her talk about, you know, what is rescue, which funny enough, the government actually never got a full definition of what rescue was. They wanted to conflate it with blocking doors when that's not all that rescue entails. Rescue is many things. Rescue looks very different for different people who have different ideas and different ways of doing it. Like we talked about earlier in this podcast, some rescues look like sidewalk counseling inside. Some rescues look like blocking. It's all different. And they tried to conflate rescue with blocking doors because that's how they thought that they could get a legal win and it's not going to work. I, I don't want to get everyone's hopes up and say that we're going to win this trial, but I definitely think we're going to have some wins. Some people will get off on some charges. Some people won't. But this is a calculated effort to destroy our groups, to degrade our leaders, and to scare us from doing rescue, and it's not going to work. And I want to add, you know, as – I was going to say as a rule follower, but I'm not going to lie. I do break rules occasionally. But for the most part, I do like to follow rules is also intimidating. It this stuff is meant to make you feel like, oh gosh, I because I'm gonna be honest, this is not my calling. I cannot spend ten years in jail. That's personally, I cannot do that. I can support, write letters. You know, you need ten dollars a month to people, but I know that's not my calling. And this type of stuff makes it, it just it can discourage people who it could be their calling. It can discourage people, and that's I think that's the overall goal especially since Roe was overturned it just seems like people who are so pro-abortion and I'm not talking about you know your friend that looks at something on Instagram once a month and maybe says rah rah occasionally I'm not talking about that girl that girl we can change her mind for sure I'm talking about the government the they out there that truly does want to continue to murder children like they are ramping it up they are doing everything in their power to make you uncomfortable to make it harder for other people to murder as many babies as possible i mean things have just since the fall of roe it's just been so much I guess I just wasn't expecting so much pushback. Like, I knew they would be upset. I just wasn't expecting as much as they are doing now, you know? Yeah, I think that you make a really good point. And I think that that in itself demonstrates it. Because I think that a lot of people conflate rescue with spending 10 years in prison. And while that's certainly true for people who choose to do specific types of rescues, or for people who are unjustly persecuted, I think that, you know, most rescues, you're not really risking that. I, I'm right. obviously not a legal expert and I, I'm not advising anyone to do anything unless it's their calling to do so. They need to follow their own principles. But the majority of our rescuers are, of course, not facing 10 years in prison and don't plan to anytime soon. So I think that part of these types of trials is to make people think that every rescuer and every rescue is going to get sent to prison for 10 years when that's not the case. And um, I think you're that's right. It definitely tries to discourage people from their calling if rescue is their calling. And, 
you know, we have a calculated plan in order to resurrect rescue, to repeal the FACE Act, and to get people back out there saving babies without having to risk 10 years in prison. Yeah, I really like that you said that because you're right. In your head, you hear about that and you're like, oh, I can't do that. But you made a good point about the um, the people who are standing outside. That's You're technically part of the rescue if you are the outside support. So stuff like that. Yeah, I, I can do that. And I think most people can do that. You know, it you can just do whatever you feel comfortable doing. Follow what God has called you to do. You know, make sure that you're doing what God has called you to do. You don't want to be... You can't be a doctor if you don't like blood, you know, <laughs> like I always, yeah. <laughs> that's always how I equate things. Cause I, you know, everybody wants to help people. That's just part of it. And you, every, well, how do you help? Oh, you can be a surgeon. No, you can't. If you don't like blood, you can be a surgeon. So just do what it is that God has called you to do. And I think, um, kind of to put a bow on that part, I just think it's really important for us to make sure that we are listening and we have all the information. I really like, Kristen, that you have shared more about rescue than I think the average person knows. I would dare say that 80 or more percent of the pro-life movement doesn't really know much about it. I will. I would say that we see people are on trial on Instagram. We sympathize. We're like, oh my goodness, that's so sad. But we don't know nearly as much as Pow knows. We don't know the history. We don't know the, like you said, there are different components to it. So I think it's really important um, for us to listen and like to just to learn and to be open to um, whatever it is God has called us to do. Are there any other crazy stories or any anything positive you want to say about the trial? Anything positive happened? <laughs> yes, there have been lots of positive notes. Lots of great things happen. Um, this has really been a moment for solidarity in our movement. And I think that it, it's really scary, like seeing your friends all in their court outfits, sitting there in front of a federal judge. Yeah. And there's an entire half of the courtroom filled with FBI agents staring you down, looking down your neck. It's scary. But I think the thing that continues to push us through is knowing, one, rescue is right. We're doing the right thing. We are yeah. taking our values and aligning them with our actions. Two, there's no way for them to stop us. Not only could they not stop us if they've tried, but strategically they've waited far too long. We have our leaders built up. We have people in place. We have a plan to reignite the rescue movement, to get people involved, to repeal the FACE Act, to save these babies. And, you know, not only have they waited too long, but even if they tried to do this sooner, they, they wouldn't have been able to stop us because we've learned from the rescue movement. We have learned. We have studied their mistakes. We have studied every single little boundary that was in their way. And we know what we need to do now. And I mean, we Love have a that. much tougher battle because we're facing, you know, some of our people are facing 10 years for what they've done and the children they've tried to save. But what I know at the end of the day is that rescue is a way to align your principles with your values. It helps prevent violence. It helps save children. And I think that it helps people understand pro-choice people, because I think, you know, we see online trolls. If abortion is really murdered, then why don't you call the police? They don't believe us because we say abortion is murder and we hand out a little pamphlet on our college campus, which don't get me wrong. That's where I started. There needs to be pamphlets handed out at college campuses. That's the first step for a lot of people, but it can't just be that. It would be mm -hmm. like if somebody got hit by a car in front of you and you went, here's a piece of literature. That's like, yeah. we got to do more than that. And we have to yeah. show them abortion is murder. What do you do when someone's going to get murdered? You stop it. You say, no, you're not going to be allowed to murder. And, um, of course, I think that a lot of people, they look at rescue and they're like, I could never do that. Or I wish I could do that. But I want all those people to know there's no shame in following your calling. Um, if you don't feel called to rescue, don't do rescue. You are still welcome in our spaces. And rescuers want to be a part of your community and want you to be a part of our community and this isn't some exclusive club that you like join if you care about unborn babies. All of us care about unborn babies. Some of us just 
do it a little bit differently. And I want people to know that they're rest, they're welcome in our communities and um, they shouldn't, you know, feel like they aren't. And I want everyone who is willing to do rescue to do a rescue and everyone who feels empowered to do so to have the resources and the community to rescue with. Because I mean, I've seen it firsthand. It's, it's nothing like I've ever seen anywhere in my life. It's a very unique experience. And I want everyone who can and wants to do that to be able to. Mm, that's good. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. We talked about the try. Oh, what can we do to help repeal the FACE Act? Like, what can we do? So Powell goes lobbying every week. We're out here on Capitol Hill telling our representatives, repeal the FACE Act. We have gotten a letter written by Chip Roy, signed by lots of other representatives saying, yeah, we're willing to do it or at least significantly roll back what the FACE Act allows for. But what nice. we really, really need is people calling their local representatives saying, repeal the FACE Act. I've talked with people on the Hill. I've said, what can we do? How do we get their attention? I mean, you may have seen a few months ago, Powell blocked the road in front of the Longworth office. We said, or Rayburn or Longworth, or I don't remember. There's too many offices. One of, yeah. Yeah. We blocked <laughs> One of those street. buildings. <laughs> we blocked the street in front of the office. Of course, we weren't blocking emergency services or a busy road where people couldn't get around. But we blocked it in order to say, hey, there's a lot of people willing to risk a lot of things for this to happen, to raise awareness about justice for the five, to say that people committing infanticide are using the FACE Act as a cover for themselves. People like Gosnell, that's not like some legend. That's happening now. That's Eleanor Dry in San Francisco. That's Cesare Santangelo in Washington, D.C. That's the abortionists out in Colorado and New York and all these states. They're killing people. They're killing newborn babies, leaving them to die, and they're using the FACE Act to cover that infanticide up. This is about abortion, but it's also about abortion survivors, people who should get a chance to live, people like Melissa Odin, who we wouldn't have the privilege of knowing today if somebody, if a brave nurse didn't pull her out of the trash can. And there's many children like that, children like Phoenix, one of the babies that Lauren found, who was born and left to suffocate to death in their own amniotic fluid. That is unacceptable. And these serial killers, not just abortionists, serial killers mm. are using the FACE Act to cover up infanticide, even by the legal definition of the United States law. They're using it to cover up infanticide. So we know it's infanticide. We know the people who are perpetuating it. What can we do? Please call your local representatives. When I've asked people who work on the Hill, how do you get somebody to care about an issue in your office. They say, we have to have an influx of people calling from our district. We have to have, you know, a hundred people call from our district. So call your local representative. POW is always hosting these type of power hours where we're telling everyone for one hour on this day, call your representative, write a letter, send an email, do something. But right now we really need attention on a ground level and that's my job as a community organizer. I'm going into communities. I'm organizing the youth. I'm organizing people who want to get involved in showing them how to create autonomous groups that can function to repeal the FACE Act. Fabulous. Um, I will link how to find your representative um, in the description. And I will link all of Powell's information in the description to you guys. Um, awesome. And Oh, go ahead. I actually made a specific thing to help people help us. So it's called the Solidarity Toolkit. There's a POW on Trial Solidarity Toolkit, and there are other toolkits on our website. So all this good stuff is going to be linked there below, but it lays out exactly what you can do. It shows you how to make your own t-shirt, how to make a post on social media, how do you do this thing, call your representative, send out a tweet, really simple stuff that people can do and a guide for how to do it. So we have all these solidarity toolkits on our website. That is fabulous. Um, I will link all of that, you guys, and you're going to see it on our Instagram too. Um, anything else are you thinking? I'm just thinking I'm grateful for allies in the movement, allies to rescue like you. I know that in the beginning you said we clearly disagree on things, but I think that <laughs> unity is one of the most important things in our movement right now. Because there's no way we're ever going to all agree on what we should do. But what we yeah. can agree on is that unborn babies are dying and we need to stop it. 
So I'm really grateful for your allyship and for anybody who's been a supporter of POW, a supporter of rescue, a supporter of these babies. And I just want to give them a huge thank you. If you pray, please pray for the defendants right now. They could really use it. And if you don't send out a tweet, do something, <laughs> you can, you can help out. And I just, I just want to thank everyone who's helped us along the way. And I'm really excited for the future. Of course. And I'm excited too, because I really think that, um, I think we have a bright future ahead of us. I think there's going, it's, you know, we're going to have some fights, some battles, but I do think like it is going to get better. Um, I'll, I just thought of this other thing too. When is the next trial for the other five and who are the other five? The exact date, I don't believe it's set yet, but okay. um, some of the defendants include people who POW supporters may know, like Jonathan Darnell. He's done some rescues and allyship with us, even though he's not progressive. Um, and then also Joan Andrews Bell is on the next trial, who we talked a little bit about in this episode. And there's a few other rescuers there. So we don't have an exact date yet that okay. I know of. When we get it, I will definitely be posting, giving it to you, letting people know. But right now, we are right before the verdict for this first trial. Lauren is expecting the verdict on Tuesday. The jury all deliberated on Friday. They couldn't finish. There's no court this morning, so we will get a verdict tomorrow, and if not tomorrow, then Wednesday. Okay, so this episode ideally is going to be out tomorrow, so you guys will be hearing this Tuesday the 29th. Um, so, you know, everybody, let's be praying. Whether the decision's out or not, we still need to be praying. Um, so, yeah, well, thank you so much, Kristen. I really love and support everything that you guys are doing i think um i think it's really important and like i said i am very big on now because i wasn't like this before so if you look in my past you know don't judge me but i'm very big on like everybody do what god has called you to do i cannot say that what you're doing is wrong especially if it's effective no one should say what i'm doing is wrong because i'm effective so i think it's just really important for us to unify and you are a great person aside from pro-life stuff as well you have such a light and you're sweet and you're kind Thank and you're funny you. um so i'm just really glad that you were on and i'm really glad people got to hear what's going on um with the justice for the five the face act learn more about rescue and if you guys are interested in that i will leave pal's information on um and it says progressive, but you don't have to be necessarily like progress. I mean, obviously you probably shouldn't be alt right, but <laughs> like you don't have to be progressive to join POW, correct? Or so all of our organizers are progressive, but we definitely have allies and people who support us um, okay. who are not progressive. Okay, so and you know what? We do have people like I've had people comment that they don't consider themselves Christian or conservative, but they listen. So maybe if that's you and you want to join more you are more than welcome um and i think that it's the more of us in this the better the more of us in it working together um we'll do better so anyway i i'll have all their stuff linked um i think that's it so thank you guys so much for listening make sure you share this with all of your pro-life friends this is a strictly pro-life episode share with your non-pro-life friends too if they want to listen but i really think your pro-life friends every pro-life person in your life should know so that is your task share it with three pro-life people you know um and the question i'll ask is, i'll make up a question and we'll do a poll later um yeah, so if you like this episode, make sure you rate, review, subscribe, share, tell everybody you know, and have a good ever wherever you're listening. Bye.